we're probably going to be playing a mix of old favorites, uh, you know, the classics that people love, because I'll give you a showbiz tip. Um, you should play the songs that people like, uh, the ones that they know, the ones that they might be able to sing along to. We, we will break out some new material because fortunately there will be like a two week time frame where people can get experienced by the new record. And so it'll be fun to kind of test out some of the new material live. This is the Lawyers, Guns and Money podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Lawyers, Guns, and Money podcast. And this is a very special episode, like, uh, uh, you know, like the uh, episode of Family Ties where uh, uh, Tom Hanks uh, reveals he has a drinking problem, uh, but in a good way, um, uh, because we have uh, Elizabeth Nelson, uh, the uh, lead singer-songwriter of The Paranoid Style, um, who has a really phenomenal new album coming out on Friday. And don't take our word for it. Um, it's already gotten uh, extremely uh, favorable reviews in NPR and a couple other outlets as well. I'm now I'm now blanking on, but she can fill us in. Um, and uh, we're going to talk a lot about the uh, you know the process behind this album and the idea of it. Um, it's also worth noting that the Paranoid Style are playing uh, it in the uh, the fur opening. Is it the first of the Drive By Truckers uh, Homecoming shows in Athens, Georgia, uh, on February 16th? Uh, are tickets still available for this, Elizabeth? It is sold out. I am sold so out. sorry to say. But, you know, worth, uh, you know, you can look for tickets on, on the secondary market. I'm um, sure they're expensive, but it will be worth it. So uh, either way, we, we hope to see some of you there. Uh, but uh, and and hopefully uh, I'm, I'm hoping with the uh, the attention this uh, this record gets, uh, uh, the Paranoid Style may be playing more gigs near you. I'm still hoping Bar None puts together that uh, Yolo Tango Paranoid Style tour, you know, a little, little funding, but we'll see if that, uh, uh, perhaps we can join in a fundraiser, not, uh, but we'll uh, we'll try to put something together. But uh, anyway, um, uh, and uh, also, also with us today is uh, Rob Farley, uh, joining us uh, live from, I presume, Lexington, Kentucky with uh, with Kat, um, and at a different time. So we will not uh, begin the, uh, the show with the traditional eight fingers of bourbon. So this will be a, a different experience than the yeah uh, yeah it's got, I was about to, to turn say, into the super I was about to say right if it if it, if it if it takes a if 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 a special very special episode is made by the revelation of one's drinking problem then the LGM podcast has a lot of very special episodes I I, I feel like so <laughs> um, no but it, it's, it's not it's, Miller time it's vanilla time <laughs> but no it's a, it's a delight to have you here Elizabeth all right yeah so uh, anyway uh, uh, welcome aboard Elizabeth uh, thanks so much for joining us uh ordinarily uh, uh you would think that uh the Seahawks hiring Mike McDonald would be the biggest uh, Seattle and Washington DC era story of the day but I, I think this is now number one so uh so I'm uh, very much happy you could join us um so I guess just start off by uh by telling us about the new record I mean obviously that you have a a new sound uh, which is already discussed on the blog uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, you can hear uh, ZZ Top's Eliminator, and you know, maybe the Good Earth, and countless other things. But uh, you also have a new lead guitarist, which obviously, uh, uh, you know, plays into this record and, and its sound. Yeah, I mean, um, so first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's always nice to see you guys, um, and it's uh, very, very kind of you uh, to give me sort of the insider treatment and and allow me to promote this record. Um, membership at lawyers guns and money does have its privileges so um i just really want to say how much i appreciate this um and yes i am here to promote 
the new Paranoid Style record, which is called The Interrogator. Um, it is on Barnum Records, which is the label that has put out most of the records that we've um, released over the last decade. And uh, it's coming out on February 2nd, 2024. Um, and yes, it's already uh, to great acclaim, um, which is uh, incredibly nice to have um, a little heat from NPR and um, hopefully some other uh, prestigious locations. But we've already been reviewed in the big takeover and the vinyl district and all of these have been rave reviews, which, of course, we expect uh, from such a quality combo as the Paranoid Style. But it's been it's been super cool. And um, yeah, I mean, it goes without saying that I love every record and I'm proud of every record. But um, this one is obviously my objective favorite. Um, and I I do think that, you know, there is a lot to recommend it, um, including the things that you already mentioned, um, which is that it does have a sort of fresh sound, um, which we discussed, you know, um, when you guys did that nice post about I love the sound of structured class, which was a ZZ Top inflected tune. But yes, we have a new lead guitarist as well um, in Peter Holzapple, who is... Uh, probably best known for being one of the co-founders of the DBs and um, great, you know, pop rock, power pop band. And then also the Continental Drifters is another one of his outfits. But, um, uh, you know, he was a sideman in REM um, and is just an incredible, incredible musician, a very, very sweet guy. And he has really added so much to our sound um, and his guitar playing is really excellent. Uh, and so... If you like guitar rock, I would say you can't go wrong with the interrogator. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really really exciting record and and one that we're super proud of. It's a little bit of a evolution from for all you fans out there who like four executive meeting. It's you know the natural continuation of um, that sound and style. But I think it's um, it's a more mature record. It's a scarier record. Um, and uh, and so yeah, we I, I'm psyched to talk about it and and go deep. So. Yeah, and and really a guitar record with with where the interactions are important too, and and obviously I've been a a fan of Tim's playing since I uh, I got uh, we're all in it alone at the uh, Borders in downtown Seattle, uh, R.I.P. Uh, so uh, I assume that must have been really fun for him too, just the, the kind of you know very much you know we get the you know the kind of. Uh, 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 you know, you know, sometimes, you know, it's it's Keith and, and Mick Taylor. Sometimes it's Keith and Ron kind of weaving together like that. That must have been a lot of fun uh, uh, just kind of putting together a, a great guitar record along with this. Uh, the, what's always a song record, too, if 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 you're involved. For sure. And yes, I mean, uh, a lot of credit does go to Tim, who I am related to by marriage, um, who plays in the band. And he is an incredible lead, um, rhythm guitarist. And um so he and Peter were in the studio together um, and Tim is playing um, acoustic rhythm guitar, which you can hear throughout. And it sounds amazing. And so that was really nice for him. But also, I should also give credit to our friend William Matheny, who has played on a lot of our records, too. He also contributed some guitar from the field. So it's it's a three guitar lineup. Um, and uh, and so I think that also um lends itself to being, you know, this very uh, guitar-forward album. When we did the Robbie Robertson podcast, you talked a little bit about your pro your your process, your writing process, and um, I mean, I don't know how much of, how much of the writing and the production and so forth for this album you had done before that conversation, um, but 
sort of how much did the addition of uh, Peter Holsepel, like, did it change your process at all um, in terms of sort of what he was bringing in terms of the guitar solos and so forth? Or um, was, was it still pretty similar to the previous albums? It just sort of feels different because of his addition. Yeah, I mean, it, we do tend to work in um, a similar fashion, which is to say, like, fast and cheap. Um, so, like, when Peter had agreed to come on as the lead guitarist, um, it was really, you know, the same way that we usually work, which is that, you know, we would give him a demo of the song um, that Tim and I would make at home. And then... Um, you know, we would go into the studio and track our basics and then he would overdub his solos. And the remarkable thing about Peter is that he was just kind of coming up with things on the fly uh, that seemed so intuitive and so natural. But a lot of the material, you know, he was just hearing for the first time. He's just that talented a player. Um, so, you know, like we would say, you know, like we're, we work with a engineer mixer uh and co-producer whose name is jason richmond and he has a lot of great ideas but um so the three of us between tim and me and jason like when we would put peter um you know gave him his headphones and put him up on the mic and everything to do his lead overdubs we would just maybe give him a slight direction like you know um play like a cinnamon girl solo for example and he would just do it you know and like so, you know, like a lot of times it was just like, you know, we're, we want to do like a Joe Eli Flatlanders thing. So add a little Tex Mexler and he would just, he would just do it. I mean, he was just amazing. So uh, he just deserves so much credit for being that good at guitar. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel you you're in your in your and, and, you know, as many of you know, uh, Elizabeth is also one of the country's uh, best music critics. Um, you know, sometimes in, in, in Pitchfork, and I think we should talk about that before you leave, but also uh, is certainly the best uh, music music critic on Twitter and using the Twitter format. Uh, and in, uh, I think these need to be like compiled, like, you know, Pauline Kale's Thousand One Day, Days of the Movies. I think we need like Elizabeth's Twitter uh, capsules. Uh, but in those capsule reviews, you, you've also been talking a lot recently about Lou Reed's 80s albums. And so mm -hmm. having that kind of acoustic sounding electric makes you and, and the the dueling guitars makes me think of New York. And then the way Peter works makes me think of, of the Robert Quine albums that I guess he would come in with those tracks and almost spontaneously be able to figure out like what commentary um, uh, can go in there in these different styles. And so I, I don't know if that's sort of an indirect influence or direct influence, or if that's the reason you've been thinking about those records, but that definitely listening to it over the, the last couple of days during the initial tracks, that certainly came to uh, all, all of those records came to mind for me for sure. Um, that's very, very flattering. Um, yeah, you know, we're never too far from Lou Reed and Velvet Underground. And obviously, um, you know, nobody plays quite like Quine does. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, that interplay between acoustic and electric, and then sometimes like blowing out the acoustic and, um, you know, which is a trick that, you know, gets used by, you know, everyone from Keith Richards on down. So, um, yeah, we, we, we definitely love playing with guitar sounds. And when you have such flexible players like Peter and like um, William Matheny and like Tim, it, it, it helps to, you know, have that opportunity to be able to experiment in those ways. And obviously we all know the same influences. So it's just, it's very easy to just be like, you know, let's, let's do a, let's do a Lou Reed thing. Let's do a who thing. Let's try this. Let's try that. So they, and they're all into it. They just get it right away. 
Um, yeah, my favorite part of the Keith Richards biography was how much of, of Beggar's Banquet was was acoustic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's so weird to hear that now when you hear it's all like, but just this incredibly dense, um, you know, and, and so obviously that's, um, you, you know, you can tell that's an influence on this record as well. And, and it's really cool. Cool. Well, I'm glad you guys are hearing all of this, which means we've done our job well, I would like to think, if you like that sort of thing. Yes, Scott, I, I, I will I will grant Scott is, is far more of a sort of a discerning, as are you, right? I, I'm very much an amateur on both the, um, uh, on, the on the rock criticism thing. Um, but I did want to ask you, um, did you, so, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly how to phrase this. Your singing feels different. Uh, on this film, where there seems to be a fullness to it, um, which is not something that necessarily didn't exist before, but there's there, it felt to me there, that there was sort of a sort of a deeper and a fuller sort of to is that a production thing or did you just really sort of change? Were you self conscious about thinking sort of with this different instrumental uh, uh, basically alignment um, with the new guitarist? Did you approach your singing differently um, here, or or is that just sort of my imagination? Um, no, I, I think that's I think that's fair to say. And, um, you know, without getting like too deep into the weeds of like process, because I don't know how exciting that is for anybody to talk about. Like one of the things that I think I mean, it obviously there's a lot of production stuff ha- happening. And um, like I said, you know, Jason, who engineers and mixes our records, uh, like knows how to record me very well. And so um you know, he he is doing a lot with like the way he's miking things and and whatnot. So I, I have to, you know, obviously give the heck side of this, a, a you know, a nod. But um, I think the thing that I could probably say that would be the most notable and maybe the most interesting, if any of this is interesting, um, is that on previous records, I would tend to kind of be ahead of the beat and pushing the band forward in this direction, which is a conscious choice. And here on this record, I was trying harder to kind of stay behind the beat and create more of a groove in this way where like, it's not this, you know, like really super fast thing where like, you know, you get that kind of intensity, this sort of more punk rock thing, like a super chunk thing. Like that was the, the old way, but with this record, Finding the groove is really important. So when we were able to do that on a song like I Love the Sound of Structure class, like that's like more consciously slow, which was difficult for me because I tend to like things very fast. I like to get things done in like three minutes. I feel like if we're sticking around for four minute songs, we're doing our job wrong. Um, but for this one, yeah, it, it felt like it would be more fun to luxuriate in it a little bit because, again, you know, once we knew what Peter was capable of, it was kind of fun to let him, you know, sort of shine in the guitar solo moments. Right. I mean, the way you describe it now makes complete sense to me, right? And I and and when you describe it, I can sort of I can think back to some of the songs, and I can I can I can hear sort of what you're saying makes sense. But it's also fascinating to me, you know, as a complete amateur. With you know, my daughters are both are both musicians, but yeah. I'm a complete amateur. But like you know, coming to understand how. Yeah, and and it's sort of to to compare this like to another band, right? It would be something like uh, the Will Wilco on Sky Blue Sky, right? Mm-hmm. Which is just a much different sound and and affects sort of the way the entire band sounds, 
because people are doing different things and what one person is doing is affecting somebody else and so forth. It's not, it's a, it's, so it was fascinating in that sense to listen to this record, having listened to all of your previous ones um, and see how things were going differently. Well, I, I'm, I'm, again, like very happy to hear that these are things that you're hearing because again, like these are all choices that we made. And so I, I feel like we're doing our job. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by your comments about being a little behind the beat because that's perfect in terms of the groove. And, and obviously, I also listened uh, again to A Goddamn Impossible Way of Life um, and for executive meeting. And, and that very much has the kind of hyper caffeinated late 70s Elvis Costello, like yeah. you know, this year's model. And this is almost when he's and the thing is, you know, early 80s Elvis is still by the standards of most still a lot of words in a lot of but but it's a little like trust where it's just pulling back a little bit, you know, almost just like, like, like getting into the groove a little more. Um, and I don't know if that's, and I assume that's part conscious choice and part just kind of natural evolution. That sort of is a, a band plays together. You just kind of get, you kind of luxury, you know, luxuriate a little more and just, uh, you know, just kind of just, uh, you know, don't have to, you know, it's like the, the, the words don't have to get out quite as quickly. <laughs> you know, it's just sort of a, you know, almost, yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, we're like, I'm constantly trying to find that kind of medium spot, but Cause like our drummer, John, um, he always is kind of like, maybe we should do it a little slower. And I like to just torture him and be like, no, no, we have to go faster. But um, reasonable minds eventually would rule the day. And we kind of would come to that, that compromise where we're still getting things done fast and the songs still kind of rock, but it certainly uh, was definitely like trying to stay a little bit more behind the beat to give, time for the lyrics and and a little bit more breathing so but i i mean i love a goddamn impossible way of life and i love the way that record sounds so um you know i i still feel like that was a good approach for that record yeah and that's you know and 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 it's not definitely it's not a case of one style being preferable to the other <laughs> right. everybody loves this year's model too but uh, yeah, totally. it's just it's interesting because it's 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 different and kind of suits this material as well um, I'm all really fascinated by, um, you know, and there are a couple of really great ballads on this album. And one of them is the uh, perfectly titled Are You Loathsome Tonight? Um, <laughs> you know, which is kind of slowed in with that. And it also has a bit of a almost a Caribbean lilt to it, too, um, <laughs> a little bit. But it's really, uh, you know, that's kind of a, a new palette, but it like suits the lyrics for that so well. Um, so I, I know uh, I don't know how you came to that, too, that in addition to you know, there's obviously so much power pop on this album, starting with the Nick Lowe reference in that. But I'm also kind of fascinated that there's there's that element to it as, as well the bit of the uh the bit of the slow it down a little but with that but always like with a, a real focus but always with the focus on the groove as much on the mm -hmm. on the slow ones as the, as the fast ones and i found i found that a really interesting new direction as well um well no thank you uh for saying that and yeah i mean as much as i am loath to admit it like sometimes you do need a ballad to break it up and um so when we were sequencing the record, like we had the Are You Lonesome Tonight song and it just kind of felt like it, we needed that little break, you know, to slow it down a little um, before the real torture of the second half kicks in. Because I think that it's it's a little bit of a punishing back half um, and in a good way, in a good punishing way, but still like there's some scary things happening. So, um, you know, I got to start with it kind of slow and you know being like uh you know how you know how bad can you be are you going to be loathsome 
um you know it's real bottom of the barrel stuff but like it's pretty you know it's got some yeah. beautiful piano on it uh so yeah and it, it felt like it like that it feels like it kind of locked into the sequencing pretty nicely there so um you know i i that was just the approach that we took right away and it it, it i think it came out really really nicely and jason kind of treated the drums sort of in an 80s fashion we were going for like a big 80s feeling to this um so i i like the way that he um treated the drums on that one particularly and not quite Steve Lillywhite, but the the the, the what we know in 2020 equivalent, you know, sort of like yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally, totally, exactly. So I have been uh, I, I, I I've been digging through the pat, the back catalog here. Um, I, I was hoping when I saw the title that client states because you write I mean you write a lot about politics right and a lot about sort of the political sciencey obsessions right but you don't write that much about international relations. I mean you you do have a few songs about international relations like the ambassador's mm -hmm. morning lift and so forth. Um, and I was hoping client states was going to be something really IR centric. Um, uh, uh, and, it, and it wasn't quite right. It's a great song, but it's not really it's not really about like client states like, you know, Estonia or something like that. So. <laughs> uh, that's very fair. And I mean, maybe the next record will be our international relations record. I feel like there's just so much to consider stateside at this point, um, you know, and maybe maybe we'll dip into Canada at some point, Scott. I mean, <laughs> uh, but but I, I yeah, I mean, I've always just like that phrase client states has been knocking around my head forever. And like, I just thought it has to be a song title or like a band name or something. I can't believe it. There isn't another political band out there who hasn't gotten it. So, um, you know, maybe, or, 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 oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, or you could do a Supreme Court album. I, I could be your Jacques <laughs> and come in and we could do like, you know, I think you do a great song about like Buck versus Bell or something. <laughs> 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 we, we might, we might do one of those too, but, uh, but, uh, Oh, uh, on that drop is steep. You, you, you have an offhand mention of being a Kentucky Colonel. Are you actually a Kentucky Colonel? I have to ask. No, being I am a Kentucky not. Kentucky Colonel myself. Oh, are you? Are you really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, no, I, 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 um, I did live in Kentucky, um, but I never actually got the honorific. I don't even like. How do you even get one? Do you, you have to? You, you know, somebody is the only. Okay. That's that's just it. And uh, once you know somebody, you can get them for anybody you need. I should get them for all the LGMers. Right, so you can all be yeah. Curls and... You should do it for fundraising. Like, if people donate five hundred dollars, you can become a Kentucky Colonel, um, courtesy of Farley. I think that they frown upon that, yeah. but but we'll we'll try to make it work. Right, some way to profit upon the state that would be great. So I'm just spitballing. <laughs> Uh, it may not be an IR song, but I, I feel that uh, client states could definitely be a, a great um, 2024 rallying cry. I, I want to quote the last two paragraphs uh, for everybody, and, and uh, I, I cannot do them justice. I'm not going to get the, the meter as well as Elizabeth here, but uh, uh, straight down to the point of everything you've ever been denied. I punch my enemies right between the eyes. I'm afraid it's not cutting time. Straight down to the rule of law and straight down to the bitter end. Let me know if you want to go. Let me know if you need a friend. That is awesome. <laughs> and trust me, it sounds much better with uh, uh, a little guitar chaos and, and some hooks behind it. But, um, you know, that's that's uh, that's an amazing, uh, uh, an amazing uh, end up. And, and I think it's, it's probably a good window into your state of mind in, in what is a a, uh, a pretty fraught year in the uh, in the history of American democracy. Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, even though it's not an international relations song, I, I definitely feel like it is uh, um, 
what's like it's it is a bit of a rallying cry and it's sort of pointing out unpleasantness and I feel there's an urgency to it even though I'm singing behind the beat there's still an urgency to it um you know I there's a lyric in there that I'm very proud of which is um from the depths of the canyon to the top of the tower weather and news at the top of the hour your money's no good here let's talk about power um which you know I feel like is just where we are currently I also love your kisses on my list alongside other obligations, just another <laughs> swing and miss and susceptible to persuasion. Uh, so we, you know, start off with the 80s reference and then, uh, you know, and then we think of, of poor Hall and Oates, you know, irreconcilable, oh. like so, so many, so many collapsing institutions in the United States. Uh, but then, you know, sort of it's, it's just, uh, uh, you know, but then, you know, it's just, you know, but, but in this, in uh, what is also unmistakably a 2024 record and, and, and very much speaking to the mood of, of, you know, sort of veering between you know, cautious optimism and anger and, and dread, um, you know, I think it really, really captures that moment well. Oh, well, I, I do, I so appreciate that. And yeah, I mean, poor hollow notes, you know. <laughs> They'll probably, I mean, actually, they're not as litigious as the Eagles, but. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and, and you do sneak in, you do sneak in a, a, a Begin and Sadat reference. Um, so, uh, you know, that's that's as uh, one should really on nice, every yeah. record. And I have to say, you know, I think Bad Day for the Group Chat may be like my favorite song title. Or, you know, it has to be there, like, in the at top, and, and it would work for anything, right? It w- would work for a book, but it's a, it would work for the title of a, of a, of a, of a Sopranos episode, right? But, but Bad Day for a Group Chat is just a fabulous name for a song, right? Because it's so evocative, just sort of right off the top of, mm-hmm. uh, of, of so many things. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that one, you know, that was hide, hiding in plain sight. Who hasn't had a bad day in a group chat? I mean, you could title this episode... Bad day for the group chat if you wanted to. <laughs> so, um, you know, one thing to you know, I, I'm also interested in talking a, a little bit about, you know, just sort of, you know, life in, in, in a band and and you're lucky enough to actually be signed, you know, by a label, uh, but still at a level in which, you know, it's 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 still not anything remotely like a career. Um, you know, pending, uh, you'll know, see how this goes. But but what is it like, you know, in terms of of, you know, sort of, you know, putting out records today and 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 at least trying to get some live shows out there. You know, right. are you are you hoping um, that uh, uh, that this won't be just a, a one off that um, that there, there'll be uh, enough there for a tour? And, and what's uh, what's the situation like uh, for a musician in, in 2024 at, at, at this level? It's pretty bleak. It's pretty bad. I mean, and like, I mean, and I, I obviously, you know, I'm in a fortunate position where, you know, I have a day job and I have, you know, writing jobs that, you know, can pay pretty well sometimes. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really tough. And I, I mean, um, the industry is pretty broken. Um, and with the dissolution of certain publications that we were just talking about pitchfork, you know, like that's, that's bad. I mean, that's really bad. That's bad for music. That's bad for journalism. And so those are like two of my fields. Um, so, but anyway, um, let me, let's get really depressed. I mean, yeah, like the industry is fairly consensus driven. Um, it's really hard to, 
gain any traction or make any money. Um, and I, I'm not just like sour grapes about this because obviously, as I say, I'm I'm in a very big position of privilege. Um, I get to be on a label which has distribution, which is very important. Um, and I have some backing from them um, and some support. Uh, and bar none is the record label you can trust. Um, they do not use that branding, but I'm going to go with it. Uh, they've been really, really good to me. Um, and, but I, it's, it can be very, very hard, um, to gain any traction at all in the culture if you're an indie. And, um, so all that said, yeah, I mean, you know, we've been doing this for a long time and it's gotten increased attention and obviously, you know, getting a nod from NPR, which is one of the few organizations that still does care about independent music and is still, you know, uh, like a needle mover, uh, is really, really super cool, but that's like a super hard thing to do, you know, but, um, so I, I feel incredibly fortunate and very, very lucky. And, um, if, if this were to like redound massively to my benefit, like it would be cool to get something licensed. I think that's one of the few ways that a a musician can make money is to have a song on a TV show or in a movie. But I mean, you know, we could go deep on what's going on in the entertainment industry outside of music. Cause it doesn't seem like that's going very well either. Um, <laughs> so um, no, it's, 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 it's not great. I will say that. And, um, and as I say, like, I, I'm just kind of, you know, expressing things from friends of mine who are musicians and, you know, um, we don't have unions. We don't really have benefits. We don't have any security. There's no real safety net, um, you know, and that's kind of terrible. Um, and I wish Eric were here because maybe he would have, a, you know, a labor stance about it. But it's, it is really, really hard. And, you know, even like just talking, you know, I just recently mentioned, you may remember, the, you know, TV and writers and movies and actors and stuff like they all are unionized. So they actually have a little bit of leverage. Musicians don't really have that. And so, and oftentimes um, they're like some of the most marginal and vulnerable people. And that's what draws people to playing music is that it's a way to express yourself when you can't do otherwise. And so it becomes tragic when, um, you know, you lose people and stuff. So it's, I, I, I'm not answering your question very well. Am I going to tour? Was that the question? Um, maybe. <laughs> well, the question was vague, actually quite a bit vaguer than that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was all vague. on point. Yeah. Yeah. So just maybe teeing you off to talk about the industry. So it's yeah, all, uh, it's I, all I pertinent. Don't, I don't mean to, you know, be, be super, um, ungracious and ungrateful to the music industry. It just, it, it becomes really depressing when like, you know, Spotify has basically killed music. Um, it's wonderful. You can listen to whatever you want, but it's it makes it impossible for it to be lucrative. And then the the consensus driven piece of it is is also really hard to navigate. And I I'm a Taylor Swift fan, but like that's basically all we can really ever talk. She's inescapable. And I'm not, you know, maybe she's a Russian asset. I don't know. The headlines are crazy, <laughs> but um like, you know. It's it's it just becomes harder and harder to for any musician to have any sort of traction like that. But um, 
But if this record breaks big, yeah, maybe we'll tour. I mean, we, you know, we don't usually do shows because, again, having them make sense financially is really tough. And we're just not going to break big in Iowa City, I'm afraid. So we'll do, you know, shows that make sense, like playing for the Drive-By Truckers, which is an amazing opportunity and, and probably will gain five new fans or something. And that's <laughs> that's a meaningful at this point. So I, I, you know, like we're, again, like we're in like that weird percentage that of indie bands that actually kind of do get attention. And I know that really frustrates people um, who don't understand how we're doing it because I think they think like, you know, there's some magic bullet that, you know, will get you that kind of attention, but it's just, you know, it's just kind of hard work and, and also just really like being lucky. It's, it's some weird uh, alchemy of that. And um, Hey, I got no answers. (laughs) Oh, no, but the conversation very much reminds me every time we do a podcast with an author and, uh, uh, you know, at the end, I'll be like, yeah, with with any luck, we'll sell. We'll we'll get you to sell three, possibly even four copies of your book, um, you know, at some point over the next year. That'll be like the bump, the LGM bump. So. um, So I I was going to. Oh, the other thing I was going to say is that um, I, I have taken in my old age to watching CBS this morning. And it really just seems like you guys would fit so perfectly on like the Saturday version of CBS this morning where they have yeah. a band, they discuss it for a little while. Usually not big bands, right? Those are for yeah. the weekdays. But on the weekends they have like some kind of indie band and then they play, uh, you know, they play a song and then, you know, you wait 30 minutes and they play a closeout song. That seems just like so you guys would slot in so perfectly for that. It seems so perfectly appropriate. Um, but I guess to take it back to my original question, um, you know, how excited are you for this heathens thing, right? Because it really is. I mean, it's a, it's a, it is a family affair in, uh, in Athens, um, you know, not just for the LGM family, but I mean, it, it is an interesting place. And I know you and Patterson are, are close. And so, uh, you know, how much are you looking forward to that? Are you guys changing up your live set at all? Or, or, or what, are, what can we expect from you guys? Um, yes. Okay. So this feels like a two part question. Uh, <laughs> am I excited? Yes. Maybe a five very part excited. question. Totally, sure. <laughs> well, well, first of all, the CBS this morning thing, I totally agree with you. And if the producer of CBS this morning is listening, I'm available. Um, and he does seem, or he and or she, uh, or whoever their production team is, does seem to, um, gravitate towards Chris Gow approved bands. So check out that consumer guide, sir and or madam. Um, Second part, yes, very, very excited for the heathens thing. Um, I definitely think that it's going to be a great bill. Uh, obviously, Drive by Truckers put on an incredible live show. Um, we're, you know, an incredible live band as well. And um, we're playing also with the uh, Camp Amped Children, um, which is like, you know, sort of school of rock, but uh, less corporate. Um, and so it's going to be like these really impressive young kids, um, you know, probably like around your daughter's age is probably Robert, like, you know, like high school age, like kids who just are like, so, you know, like when, when kids are, I've noticed that like younger bands are always just so flexible and so like daring, like they're just willing to take chances. So I'm very excited to like see those kids play and evidently they're just always amazing. So that'll be fun to follow them. Um, And then, yeah. So like we're, we're, we're probably, going to be playing a mix of old favorites uh you know the classics that people love because i'll give you a showbiz tip um you should play the songs that people like um, <laughs> the ones that they know the ones that they might be able to sing along to we, we will 
break out some new material because fortunately there will be like a two week time frame where people can get experienced by the new record. And so it'll be fun to kind of test out some of the new material live. You saw Robert, if anybody who um, doesn't really pay attention or isn't stalking him was at our Twang Fest performance in St. Louis. So you got to see I Love the Sound of Structure class played live and print the legend. Uh, So we'll probably play those. Um, And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do we'll do a lively set. I can promise you that it will not be boring. Um, and um, what was the other part of your question? Was that it? It was like, was I excited? I was, and what are we going to do? That was oh, largely it. Yeah. 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 And I, I don't imagine, no, there won't be like a new like element of choreography or costumes or anything, you know. I a do joke explosions about. Or will there be new pyrotechnics and various explosions going on? Or Fog machines, pyrotechnics, mascot heads, um, <laughs> you know, like a trippy. Flying pigs. And a... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like, like I, I'm hoping that like we'll have a very psychedelic kind of background situation and. Um, so yeah, like, I, I mean, obviously expect it to be, you know, Woodstock multiplied by Altamont. I mean, there will be <laughs> killing and there will be peace and love. All right. Well, that means I'm just going to have to be careful in the, uh, in the, uh, in the, uh, in the audience. So. <laughs> yes, as, as, as Lou Reed said, I take, take no prisoners. It's not that I don't want to play your favorites. There's just so many favorites to choose from. So, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so let's see. how how did how did you um you know uh, so obviously I know that uh, that you you you've known Patterson Hood for a long time for for those not in the know the 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 um, the sort of uh, one of the co leaders and, and co songwriters the Drive By Truckers um, who also duetted with you on on uh, on your last album of course but but how how did you uh, uh, come to know him is that uh, an association with as Rob said with Athens or is that sort of uh, knowing each other's music or online or whatever how did that come to pass. Um, so my husband, who I mentioned previously, Timothy, um, went to college in Athens at UGA. Um, and he was there at the same time that, um, Adam's house cat was evolving into Mm -hmm. drive-by truckers. And I believe the two of them met at like a sort of open mic kind of songwriter circle. And this is a very, very, you know, beloved story by Patterson that he loves to talk about with regard to my husband, Timothy, who's a brilliant songwriter. Um, And I guess like, you know, they would both go to this thing. And I guess maybe there was like a little bit of money at the end of it or something where, you know, they'd all play songs and most of them were genuinely terrible, but uh, um Patterson and Timothy were always, you know, kind of the two best. And I think Patterson was very impressed with Timothy's songwriting. And he was like, he likes to say that he's Timothy's first fan. So, um, and uh, I like to think I'm Timothy's first fan, but if Patterson (laughs) wants that, then he can have it. Um, So they've known each other for a while. And then um, Tim introduced me to him and he became a fan of my music writing as well as a fan of Paranoid Style through our association. And um, so it was just a, you know, sort of natural evolution where you meet a person through your spouse and then you, you know, sort of become friendly. And um, I'm just, yeah, I mean, I can't help but admire the hell out of Patterson. I mean, he's an incredible talent and an amazing songwriter, as is Cooley, um, who I don't know. But uh, I, I do love his songs as much as I love Patterson's. And um, all of those records have spoke to me um, enormously. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, just kind of it's a sort of a boring story now that I think about it. But at least it was long. 
<laughs> I, I always forget that the Mendoza line were part of that Athens team because I think of them much more as being Brooklyn, but yeah. right that that's where they actually uh, uh, found that they're you know that that incredibly um, you know sort of vibrancy in there. By the way, did did Tim, Tim wrote the Doug Yule song on for executive meetings? Am I correct about that, or is that yours? Yeah, no, it's one that we sort of wrote together. Um, okay, it's it's, it's one that's been knocking around for a while. It's probably one of the first ones that we actually wrote together, um, and. Um, we just couldn't ever really get it right. Like we we tried recording it a bunch of different ways with a bunch of different people. And we finally, I think, landed on a good arrangement and a good set of lyrics on four executive meetings. So it was a lot of writing and rewriting. But yeah, that was definitely one of his concepts and one that he had um, kicked off initially. And so there's like an early version out there, um, which I think is like on a seven inch um that you can probably get a Discogs or maybe, I mean, there's probably still like multiple copies available. I would not say it's, um, you know, thrown away, like not available, but yeah, there's like an early version that we did with um, another great songwriter, friend of ours, James Toth. Um, and we did like a little sort of super group with him um, many, many years ago. And there's, so there's a, a, I think there's a version of it that, on that record and, um, and it's pretty cool. And, but um, yeah, so lyrics have changed and we changed the arrangement up a little bit. But yeah, that's that's definitely a, a co-write with Tim. And it also seems like so central to, you know, if I could give a shout out to your uh, fellow uh, bar non artist, the Feelies, I've really loved the the uh, the album they released last year, obviously the the the, the concert recordings of, of Velvet Underground songs. But it's amazing. And, and you know, I noticed this with, you know, Betty Seaver and other bands, you know, who, who've thought about the Velvets and covered them, how mm -hmm. much the last two albums figure into that. And, you know, how, you know, that, that even though the sort of the the classic period is like everyone talks about John Cale and that it's really the, the Doug U albums that in some ways, almost in terms of influencing songwriters and, and, and the influence they have going forward are, are at least as impactful. And I also think are at least as good aesthetically. So there is something about, and maybe this is just Seattle chauvinism. Cause I think, I think he lives here, but there's something, mm -hmm. there's, there's a weird thing about the sort of the, that sort of, you know, very underappreciated and on hip and, you know, admittedly he did, you know, recording a Velvet Underground album without Lou Reed was, probably not uh, a great way to uh, enhance your historical reputation. But, you know, there is something to be said for the sort of the, uh, the sort of underrated glue guy, um, you know, and, and uh, um, you know, in, in moving a band forward. And so it's just, so I love that song because it's just kind of so fascinating philosophically in terms of music and thinking about bands historically. I 100% I, I agree. And I think that is, you know, the major theme of, of Doug Ewell and why it was such a, you know, uh, you know, what's important nowadays, but like an important song to write because he's such an underdog and he, you know, is such a, in many ways, sort of sad figure because he got so maligned and he's kind of a punchline, you know, it's, it's like, I mean, you know, I, maybe people aren't telling jokes about Doug Yule anymore, but I, I do feel like it was just sort of like, you know, he contributed all of this wonderful material and, 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 you know, you know, we talk frequently about how good his vocal is on Candy Says, and, you know, he's just, he's just, you know, like you said, a glue guy. Um, who yeah, the first thing you hear together. on their best record. <laughs> yeah, and like, and, but, you know, because he did the thing, um, everybody sort of makes fun of him, and that's, that's tragic, and, um, and he doesn't really deserve that. I mean, I'm sure he's fine. I, my understanding is maybe he's like a violin maker or guitar yeah. maker like some kind of luthier or something but and you know so I, i'm sure he's okay but it just it seems 
it seems too bad for him. And so that was why that song was um, always an important one to keep in the mix um, because I, I always really liked it. I always was really fond of it. And uh, I definitely felt that it was thematically appropriate for a record, like for executive meeting where we were talking about art and artists and who gets left behind and who gets forgotten. So it, it fit in really well. And so I think, yes, like we finally landed on a good arrangement. Um, reasonable minds can disagree, but I'm, I'm still very, very proud of it. Yeah, and that's I think one really interesting theme you records has been both both art and politics, you know, being there and 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 interweaving, um, you know, and that's you know I you know and I just love um, a goddamn impossible way of life because you know and that there's so many great you know and obviously anything that talks about both the last waltz and and the who in Cincinnati is obviously dear you're pretty much right at my uh, right at my sweet spot there, <laughs> um, but uh, you know and and I guess that's. You know, one thing that makes me think of is is how and and again, as you know, we've already had the podcast in which I'm I'm a Robbie Robertson apologist, mm-hmm. so I won't go over it. But you know, there is something about how um, you know that that the the ability to make a living playing music also is not without its downfalls uh, too. You know that that yeah. is there is there some you know that it's not a good thing. Um, but do you ever feel that you know the fact that you have to have day jobs and and have to write? You know, does that can I also keep you sane in a way that you know sort of touring 150 years and, you know, spending a lot of time together. Um, and even if you may find out that you don't necessarily have a lot of things in common with your bandmates or one of them becomes good friends with Martin Scorsese and David Geffen or whatever, um, you know, like, is that, is there a, is that a silver lining, I guess, to, to, to musicians who are lucky enough to be able to support themselves that, that, that there is also that, you know, that, that art could also be a grind as well. Um, and is that, is, is that, is that something you think about? That's obviously something you have thought about, um, given that song, but, but how does that, how does that, how, how, how does that work in terms of, of music today? Well, I, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's a really fair point. And, and yeah, I mean, like I, you know, love him or hate him. And I think we all agree. We love him. Robbie, <laughs> Robbie had the line of that documentary when he said it's a goddamn impossible way of life. That hasn't changed. I would scarcely I wouldn't even say consider it. Has. it. <laughs> yeah. Know, I mean, yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I'll go out on a limb here because I am not a touring musician and a lot of people, you know, are, and they're doing it very successfully and, and, and that's great, you know, and I'm really happy for them, but it it's, it's just, it's still, in my opinion, really hard. And I mean, I don't think of it as ever being super glamorous, you know, um, and maybe if you're, you know, Dylan or Costello or or somebody who, you know, can just flies in on a private jet and flies out or whatever. Um, you know, it's just, it's just tedium, you know, it's just, it's just anonymous hotel rooms. It's, you know, like waiting around for sound check and, you know, depending on what level you're at, how you're going to get paid, are there advances, you know, um, what's the promoter going to do to you that night? Like, it seems really hard to me, which is why, you know, another reason why I'm like, I'm, perfectly happy, you know, doing other things that I'm good at and making money and playing rare public appearances rather than like trying to figure out like, how will we get the van fixed? And, you know, like what's going to happen when, you know, like the guitars get stolen or whatever. Like it's, it's definitely like, you know, for every person who feels like, oh, but it's so glamorous, you know, you get to hang out with your friends and you play music and, you know, depending on your marital status, like you can, you know, meet women or men, um, and and it's just an endless party and there is drugs and booze and all this cool stuff and like 
it's so magical. And so why should you get paid for it? Because you're just having <laughs> fun and it's just really not, right. that's not cool. Like, and, um, so, you know, like, you know, think what you want. I, you know, I'm not going to change anybody's mind, obviously, but, um, I, 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 I think, I think Robbie just basically encapsulated it. Um, I don't know how you, you just grind like that for the rest of your life. You, you can advance, like I said, and you can become a more supported touring musician where you actually might be have a label with some infrastructure behind it. But for a lot of indie bands, it's, you know, like sleeping on roach infested floors and, and like, I, you know, it's, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And, and I just think that for some reason there's this attitude that it's like, but you're having such a good time. Like, why, why would you need anything else? You know, you get to like get attention. Um, and I guess in an attention economy, maybe that's where the currency is King, but, uh, it certainly doesn't pay the rent when you have to get home. So, um, that's, that's my speech. Uh, what Mm -hmm. do you guys think? Uh, well, have you ever? Uh, oh, go, no, go ahead, Rob. So, two thoughts on this. One, one is that um, you know, just sort of following the careers of various Seattle musicians, many of whom are no longer with us. Right? It becomes very, it becomes clear very quickly that the substance abuse is not a feature of being on the road. It's a bug, right? It's it's almost a necessitating factor, right? That that at some point you have, you know, you just do it in order to be able to keep on going. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that, of course, is, you know, it, it's not fun. It's extremely destructive. Right. Um, and the other and I was speaking about this with Eric, I actually saw uh, Eric for his 50th birthday this last weekend. And we were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, a drive by trucker adjacent musician, Jason Isbell, and how we had been following his and uh, Scott's the same way. We've been following his career since he was part of the DBTs and then followed him he on Twitter. He half of Jack Daniels shows. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> we but, but, but sort of also, right, the fascinating bit, like, when you were following him in those early years, even for two albums for, you know, he has two albums and, uh, you know, he's a significant, he's well known for his DBT stuff. And, you know, he's living the way they lived on the road just seemed exactly like you were describing it. Their truck gets stolen, right? I mean, they have, they, you know, they have very little to go on from day to day. And, and even for someone who, you know, kind of had a little bit of profile when they were starting out, the entire road experience just felt awful, right? It just sounded awful listening to it. Um, Sort of how they were, how, how those guys were living. Um, for those who can't see me, I'm nodding my head in agreement with, with <laughs> Rob. So, okay. So Scott, go ahead. Well, and even a high level, I don't know if you've ever read it, but one of my favorite pieces of music writing is, is Donald Fagan just wrote this diary when he kind of went on a tour with like Michael McDonald and Boss Skeggs. And so this is a relatively high level. We're talking about at least former platinum artists, probably with some label support. And it's, you know, driving around, you know, like literally some of his colleagues are sleeping in buses to save money, you know, that the, uh, you know, the amount of like expense, you know, so even if you're at a higher level, the expenses are so great. You know, you're not playing the same, you know, size venues you are before. So even if you're an established artist with with a with established fan base and, you know, you're in a pretty comfortable, like, flushed out bus rather than a van, but it's still, you know, really miserable and really fraught and, like, all kinds of hell, you know, it's it's, it's really fascinating that, that even at a, a higher level than most musicians can dream of, it's an incredible <laughs> grind, um, you know, let alone, and, and and let alone, again, what the, you know, that's, and, of course, the, you know, the, um, um, I, 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 uh, 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 
Isabel did an interview with Brian Koppelman talking about Hell No, I Ain't Happy. Uh, and I guess the, the source of that song was somebody asking this Vic Chestnut, the late Vic Chestnut, who, of course, you know, had kind of serious disabilities, you know, asked him if he's happy on the road. He's like, Hell No, I Ain't Happy. The idea being that that's just not what you expect. That's not, it's just not even a not even an aspiration. And then how well that fit into, you know, driving vans, you know, creaky vans through Montana in the middle of the night and hope you yeah. don't die on black ice. But it's amazing how much that exists at, at every level, you know, that that whether it's the the struggling band or the the next life up where, you know, you're selling some records and you can sell out wherever you play, um, even up to, you know, relatively, um, you, know, you know, famous and, and well-selling artists. It's, it's amazing how difficult it is for anywhere along that spectrum is really fascinating to me. I, I mean, I, I think that you have, yeah, you're, you're pointing out a lot of really good examples of how it doesn't change. Like, yeah, you could be the road dogs who are in the van um, and just trying to rub two pennies together. Um, but, you know, a, an example that, um, I think of frequently is um, Jerry Garcia, who had, you know, I mean, he loved heroin very much. And we all know this, but I I think, you know, there were so many people who were depending on him, who were part of his crew, who, you know, I, I mean, and I think Cobain probably is another good example of this, where it's like, we've got to get you back out on the road because it's not just, you know, that people need to see you perform because you're so important to them, but you, there's this infrastructure behind you. There's all of these people who their mouths that you have to feed. And so, even though it's totally inappropriate to put somebody who's this unstable back out on the road. And again, you know, say what you will about Garcia, say what you will about Cobain. Um, that was like really, really irresponsible in my opinion, because, and like, you know, it's really hard when you think like, I have to do this because there are so many people counting on me. Um, and, you know, so I think it's just this, feedback loop that is so insidious. Um, and so, yeah, you could be at, you know, the top of your power and it's still not that fun. Um, what a great podcast this has been uh, about <laughs> music. By the way, by the way, speaking of Robbie, I'm also another band mom who probably gets too much abuse as Mick Jagger refuses to take the stones out in the mid eighties and behind a very underrated album. It's like, there's fucking three heroin addicts in this band. We are not like, like, it's like you're out of your mind. Like, that's just sorry. But like, this, you are not in condition to play like 150 live shows. You're not, you know. So at some point, somebody has to say it. Um, just as Robbie had to say, uh, you know, Richard, you're drinking three bottles of Grand Marnier a day. Like, this yeah. is gotta, like yes. I know you think this is what you want to be doing. But, you know, and, and again, it doesn't. It doesn't really make you cool to do that. But sometimes somebody has to say it at some point. It really does, you know. Yeah, I mean, say what you will about Mick Jagger. That was that was a very adult decision and probably a really hard one to make because I'll tell you something about those guys. They really like money. Um, <laughs> yeah, you got the <laughs> I think that's, that, that is fair to say. Yeah. Uh, speaking of money, I alluded to it earlier, but I really didn't want to get your thoughts 
uh, because you know it relates to art and criticism and music and gender. Uh, but the decision of of Anna Wintour to uh, keep her sunglasses on while firing most of Pitchfork, um, and it's so devastating because obviously not only is that a way to promote a band, but you've yeah. obviously written for them, um, you know. And and please feel free to uh, take your thoughts about albums like Stage Fright and Desire to our blog, where you'll get paid almost nothing. <laughs> but uh, but you know that must be just so. Um, you know, so devastating, you know, and, and again, I think we all have our quibbles with Pitchfork and, and our annoyances, but um, it really has become a source of, of criticism and it's relatively independent, whether you agree with it or not. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not, it's not just a hype machine. And, and again, the fact that they're willing to give good critic space to write about, you know, semi-obscure, like older records, um, you know, to lose that. Um, and again, I just, I don't know why these corporations and, and, and Pitchfork seems like a profitable site, um, and why do you buy these things to destroy them? It's just such a bizarre thing. But but I wonder how I, I wanted to. And, and then also to fold it into Gentleman's Quarterly with the strong implication that, you know, music criticism and, and music are a guy's thing and, and not really something that women are interested in. Um, you know, I, I, I would like to hear you talk about that because you're even better positioned than I to talk about it. But it's it's, it's pretty infuriating uh, uh, on a lot of levels. It says a lot about where American media is and, and American culture and music are now. Yes, it's it's really bad. It's it's really bad. It's bad in every possible direction. So and I think you identified a lot of things, Scott, when you, you know, you say, first of all, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I can't think of anybody who's like, wow, I'm passionately in love with Pitchfork. Um, you know, everybody thinks there's something about it that's annoying. Um, mm-hmm. you know, lots of things are annoying though. Um and so it's it's bad from from music perspective. It's obviously very bad because um, it was an outlet where if you were to get a review at all, and it was a positive one or a negative one, you would still get attention for your band, and that's a big deal. Um, and it could, you know, and I, this this is nothing unique, and and you can find a lot of really excellent thought pieces out there from from musicians and journalists who have, have, you know, actually marshaled their thoughts about this stuff. But I will say that, you know, lots of bands have broken big, you know, not, not a ton, but, but pitchfork attention can, can bring that to a band. So if they're, they're going to continue the review section, I, you know, it's all still kind of happening. So it's hard to say what it's going to look like in the future. Um, Maybe it'll be the same. Maybe it'll be great. You know, I'm optimistic that it'll be fine. Um, but it's it's you know, so it's bad for music in that in that respect. It's bad for journalism, obviously, because a lot of really good writers lost their jobs. Um, and I, I, you know, I can't even imagine how hard that day was when it came down that all of these really you know good people were reduced and. Um, you know, a lot of people who were working to move the publication into a direction where it wasn't just dudes. Um, I get that the target demo, I guess, for music is evidently men um, of a certain age and a certain, um, you know, I'll just say a certain demographic. And um, so folding it into GQ felt like a profound statement that was like, yeah, I mean, we're we're targeting individuals now. Um, you know, I'm my I, I don't read GQ, um, but uh, you know, some of the writing is really good. I know some of the writers there, um, and I think they're they can be excellent. Uh, so maybe maybe it's going to be a natural fit. Um, but 
it just feels bad for the the whole industry. Like I said, journalism and music that it's like, eh, we don't care about either of these. Like, let's just, you know, sort of throw it into this other thing. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic, like maybe it'll be maybe it'll be fine. But I it's 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 really, really concerning. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, uh as as a person who has contributed to the magazine like i it was a way for like me to get a lot of opportunities to do things that i might not otherwise be able to i i do know that i can publish anything pretty much about music at lawyers guns and money um and if you know if you would like me to bring more of my album reviews and my my sunday reviews to lawyers guns and money absolutely i'll take that as a as a big Please. head nod um <laughs> But I mean, you know, like getting to do those Sunday reviews or getting to review the records that I got to review, like that opened up a lot of doors for me in terms of meeting other editors, getting to write for larger publications. And I mean, that was a big thing about Pitchfork was, you know, in addition to breaking bands, it broke journalists. And, um, you know, like I I met lots of editors who read my Pitchfork reviews because Pitchfork was was so important to the culture. And I just don't know that that's going to be the case anymore. Now, um, obviously, when they review the record, my record, The Interrogator, Bar None Records, February 2nd, 2024, Best New Music, I would encourage everyone to take that as a very, very serious recommendation and purchase a copy. Um, but no, I, I just, I, I have no idea. It's terrible. It's just terrible. And I mean, like, I, I, again, like, I'd be interested to get, maybe he already published his thoughts, but like, you know, there's a lot of um, thought that this was just a big attempt to bust the union. And so I would be interested to know, like, what Eric's take is, and maybe we could do a separate podcast about it. Um, uh, so like, because, you know, like, it's, it's, it's its own thing. It's its whole own thing. But um, I would love to hear what you guys think. But I just think it's terrible. I just think it's just terrible. Definitely. So since we're about to go, let me say, please uh, pre-order uh, or order uh, The Paranoid Style Presents The Interrogator coming out on Bar None Records this Friday, um, available on vinyl, available on CD. Um, also stream it so they get that extra one eighteenth of a cent per uh, per song or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but, hey, you know, move up those. Uh, it, it does count towards, you it know, the, the charts. Up. So, you know, that's right. It, it adds up eventually. But, you know, honestly, um, it, it really is a, a fantastic album. And uh, we hope to uh, see uh, some of you in in Athens. Uh, and I'm excited to see you live for the first time. Rob will not be in that position, uh, but uh, this has been uh, fantastic. And I agree that we need to uh, to do a follow up with Eric at some point, uh, perhaps after the album's been out for uh, uh, for for a few weeks, and, and you've had a chance to uh, uh, to play the gig. And, and if you get a Chris Scott review, I promise to take it from behind the paywall and and uh, <laughs> serve on LGM, so you get that that extra publicity. And as he says, aesthetic quality is a thing. Uh, and I, I think in your case, it it, uh, it definitely runneth over. So um, so uh, uh, best of luck with this. Uh, I hope everybody listening will do it. And thanks for a fantastic conversation. Um, it's it's uh, always exciting to talk to the uh, the most accomplished and and hippest member of the LGM masthead. So uh, <laughs> thanks thanks very much for uh, for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us, Elizabeth. Thank you so much, guys.
This has been another LGM podcast um, and any money you have left over after you've purchased uh, Elizabeth's album in several formats and gotten the merch, uh, please considering dropping a couple bucks into the Patreon. I mean, the more money we have, the more Elizabeth might write. So, you know, um, you know, incentive, incentive already <laughs> get those Sunday reviews. So uh, thanks very much for listening, everybody. And uh, we will be back uh, next week uh, to talk about the Super Bowl. So see you then, everybody. Thank you again for listening to the Lawyers, Guns, and Money podcast. We would like to thank Elizabeth Nelson of The Paranoid Style for supplying as our intro and outro music, I'd Bet My Lands and Titles, a track on the album For Executive Meeting. If you would like to support the Lawyers, Guns, and Money podcast or any other aspect of the Lawyers, Guns, and Money project, please visit us at www.patreon.com slash lawyersgunsandmoney or donate at the PayPal link on the website. Thank you. Thank you.